Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you're new to Authentic Church, um, welcome. We are going through uh, a series that we titled Visioneering. And it's really engineering our lives around a God-sized vision. A lot of people will have visions and dreams for their life, and they kind of add God to the mix. But how many know God is doing something in the earth, and you'll see greater impact and effectiveness in your life if you join with what he's doing, right? And, and there's a purpose and a plan and a destiny on your life. If you're sitting in this room, if you're breathing today, God's not done with you yet, all right? He's got a plan and a purpose on your life and he wants to move in you and through you. He loves you. He created you. He had, he had purpose in mind. Your parents might have been surprised by your arrival, but God was not surprised. In fact, everything God made, he spoke, but with you, he formed with his own hands. And he's forming and fashioning his body, the bride, into something beautiful. And I think it's an honor and a privilege for us to be a part of that. And, uh, and so we're, we're in this series that we titled Visioneering, and, and it really came from uh, the word that we had, the prophetic word for 2022, and that word was redeem. And uh, in, in that word that we're stewarding is, is very important to us in this house because we feel that God is a redeeming God and that there's a lot of people that need to be redeemed. And last week, if you weren't here, I wanna encourage you Go online this week, listen to the message that Nicole Edgmond uh, brought last week. It was incredible, yeah. If you weren't here, basically at the end of the service, she did a message on identity and destiny and having an identity in Christ. And so many people get shipwrecked in their faith because they forget who they are. Or maybe they never really realized who they were and the calling of God on their lives. And she preached an incredible message, a real great teaching at the end of the service last week. The, the altars were flooded, the aisles were flooded with people just face down crying out to God and having a moment with him. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. So I wanna encourage you uh, to go through that. Um, but today, we're gonna kind of hone in on how to steward the dream or the vision that God's given you. So if, if you recall from weeks previous, we talked about the language of the Holy Spirit is to give visions and dreams and prophecy. And the Lord is speaking and he's doing that. And, and then as, as you begin to grow and you begin to kind of flesh that out a little bit and put some words on paper with what God's been speaking to you, now you start stewarding the vision that he's given you. And one day, we're gonna stand before Jesus and we're, he's gonna ask how we did. He's gonna take a look at how you did in stewarding the gifts and the talents and the resources that He's given to you. If you've accepted Jesus, I mean, you, you, you got your ticket to heaven. That's awesome. And you won't face the judgment that those who did not accept Jesus would face. The next judgment, they call it the judgment seat of Christ. And it's kind of misnamed because we, we call it the judgment seat of Christ, but it's really a little bit more like a rewards ceremony. It's kind of like Jesus is passing out medals in heaven, right? And it's a time where you come and he says, all right, let's take a look. And, and he, he, he rewards you for that faithfulness. And my role as the pastor of this house is to equip you as much as possible for that moment in eternity. 
And so today we're going to talk about stewarding the vision that God's given you. And uh, before I do, uh, just real quick side note, I know some of you are big Rams fans, and you're all excited about your team getting into the Super Bowl. That's, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm booing too. Uh, my team is the, the Seahawks, and they, they didn't really make it anywhere uh, this year, unfortunately. Uh, but they took a quick vacation, and then they'll, they'll be back. There's always next year, right? Just like the Packers fans. There's always next year, right? And so... But I got a text this week from a buddy of mine. He says, hey, I got, I got two tickets. I got two tickets. They're 40-yard line. If anybody wants them in your church, let me know. So apparently he paid 7500 bucks each for these tickets. He didn't realize when he bought them last year that his wedding would fall on Super Bowl Sunday. So he forgot to check that. So he says, if there's anybody interested that wants to take my place, uh, just have them text me. Uh, the wedding's at Calvary Chapel in San Clemente at 3 o'clock, and the bride's name is Jessica. She's a good cook. She'll be the one in the white dress. <laughs> lame joke, lame joke, lame joke. He won't be at the date night on Saturday. He needs to be. He needs to be. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the story of Joseph that's found in Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Uh, for those of you that don't know uh, the story of Joseph, let me give you a little bit of the backstory on him. So when you read the Bible, there's types and shadows. So types and shadows, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 6, and, and when something happens in the scriptures, it really happened. But it can serve as a type and shadow for us as believers today. So when you read about Jonah and the whale, that really happened. When you read about the parting of the Red Sea, that really happened. When you read about the fall of man in the garden, yes, that really happened. And that story that we read, yes, it really happened, but it serves as a type and a shadow for things that we can apply to our lives today. So we read the Logos, the written word of God, to get the rhema, the spoken word of God. And so I'm going to share some things that I believe is a rhema word of God for us in our church. So Joseph, the backstory, if you're not familiar with who he is, uh, if you go through uh, the Old Testament, you'll read about a guy named uh, Abraham. He had a son named Isaac. And he, uh, Isaac had a son named Israel. Israel had a couple sons. He had a set of twins. And, and uh, or excuse me, Isaac had a set of twins. One of them uh, was Jacob, who became Israel. Israel had a bunch of sons. His, one of his youngest sons was a guy named Joseph. And, uh, and Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. Okay, so there's Abraham, who's a big patriarch. Abraham was one of the men who received, he, he was able to be part of one of the five covenants that you read in scriptures. There's key, five key covenants that God made with his people. There was the covenant he made with Noah, the Noahic covenant. There's the covenant he made with Abraham, right? I will bless you through you. I will bless all the nations. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And then he had the, the covenant he made with Moses. That's the Mosaic covenant. Then he made a covenant with David through David that the lineage of the Messiah would come through David's line. There's the David, Davidic covenant. And then the new covenant, and that's the one with Jesus, all right? That's, a, that's, that's the most amazing covenant, but all of them apply. So Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, a big patriarch in the faith. So um, uh, Abraham, when he had Isaac, he learned a very difficult lesson because uh, Isaac was not his firstborn son. His firstborn son was a guy named Ishmael, who became the father of the, 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 the Muslims, the Islamic faith, and so they've kind of been at a clash with the Jewish boys ever since, right? 
That's why there will never be peace in the Middle East, according to the Word of God. As much as we want to fight and declare that and presidents and policies and everything else, they're, they're just probably not going to get along. And so there's been this war that's been happening. And, and oftentimes your faith is tested before it's rewarded. And testing of your faith is a good thing. James uh, actually says it this way. It's the testing of your faith that develops that endurance. You need that endurance in your life. That endurance does a work within us. And when we're stewarding a vision that God's given us, you're going to need that endurance later on when your faith had been tested. So Joseph is, is born. He comes onto the scene. He's the young buck in the family. And how many are, are of you in this room, how many of you are the babies in your family? You're, you're the youngest. Y'all were spoiled, rotten. You didn't get as many spankings as you deserved, and you know it, right? You get away with everything, right? All the youngest ones. Yeah. How many of you are the firstborns? That, oh, man. We got some leaders in the house. Firstborns are keeping everybody in line. The, the lastborns are like, they're like just frolicking, right? Just having a blast in life. They have no idea the dangers but hey, you know, for the parents, when you have a new baby, let's be honest. I mean, you read all the books, but dude, you're winging it. You know, you're just, <laughs> you're, you're doing the best you can. So the first one that came out, man, you're like helicopter mom at the playground. You're only feeding them organic, whatever, no sugar. We even baked a cake for our poor little daughter, Brighton, on one of her birthdays. It was all organic, and, and, and it, there was no sugar. What was it? It was banana loaf without sugar, something, and carrots. And, and for, for her first birthday that we're going to smash in her face, she didn't even want to eat it. You know, like, <laughs> Friends come over to the house for the first birthday, and they take a bite. They're like, hmm, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Garbage full. Nobody wanted to take it home. We couldn't imagine why there was no leftovers. So Joseph's the baby. And, uh, and, and he's at odds with his brothers. He had some issues with his brothers growing up, and they never just kind of could get along. And then later on in life, uh, his brothers decide, you know what, we're going to get rid of him. He's our dad's favorite. Our dad gave him this robe, the cloak, the robe of many colors, and he's all cool and thinks he's awesome, and we're going to remind him that he's not, and we are, and so we're going to kill him. And then they decide, no, we're not going to kill him. Let's throw him in the pit. Then they said, no, let's not leave him in the pit. There's no water in there. Hey, there's some Arab traders. We're going to go and actually sell him, make some money, and we're going to take his, his robe, and we're going to bring it back to dad as if, well, your son's died, so oh well. And, and move along. And so that's what happens to Joseph. It's a sad story. And so Joseph ends up getting sold by traders, and then he ends up over in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the guy that worked under the Pharaoh, and he's serving in Potiphar's house. Well, then, because he grows up so good-looking, and a lot of the last-born children, like my last-born son, he just thinks he's so good-looking. And <laughs> Joseph's so good-looking uh, that Potiphar's wife starts to come on to him Joseph says no and wants nothing to do with her, but he was an idiot for being alone with a woman in a house with nobody else there. There's a tip for you men. Don't be alone with a woman. And so Joseph was alone in the house with Potiphar's wife. She cries foul and, and tells her husband, oh, he tried to rape me and didn't share the story the right way that she was actually coming on to him. So Joseph gets 
uh, taken care of by Potiphar, who probably beat the heck out of him and threw him in jail. Joseph's in jail, spending time down there, but finds favor with the warden. The warden of the jail says, hey, this kid's pretty smart. He's got some, he's got some swagger. And so he becomes the assistant to the warden in the jail. And then he starts interpreting dreams for the, 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 the baker and the candlestick maker and whoever, the cupbearer and everybody else in the jail. And so he interprets their dream. They get out of jail. And sure enough, the, what he prophesied or what he interpreted as their dream ended up getting happened. The baker gets hung. The cupbearer gets his job back. And then years go by and the cupbearer is serving Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a dream. And then the dream he doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't make sense of it, so he invites some people to come and interpret the dream, and nobody can. Cupbearer overhears this and says, I remember this guy. There was this guy when I was in jail. He interpreted my dream, and, and I think he could interpret yours. Well, Joseph gets brought before the Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream correctly. And then what happens to Joseph is he ends up becoming, through a series of events in time, he becomes the second most powerful person in all the world as governor and serving underneath Pharaoh as his right-hand man. And at that moment, shortly thereafter, the destiny on his life became fulfilled from a dream that he had way back in the day when his brothers hated him. And through that, there was a series of lessons, there was a series of tests that Joseph's dream went through that applies to us Today, So we're going to read this story. I'm going to bring you, I told you the whole picture. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this. But I'm going to share with you just two of the 10 tests that Joseph went through as he went through that. All right, so Genesis 37, verse 2, we'll pick it up. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. The youngest is always a tattletale. Anybody know? He's just tattletale. But he's a 17-year-old tattletale, which is even worse. <laughs> Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him this tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told this dream to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And this is his dream. He says, hey, brothers, I want, you, I want to tell you this dream which I've dreamed. Verse 7. So there we were. We're binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And your sheaves stood all around, and then you bowed down to my sheaf. What an idiot. <laughs> and then his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So what happened? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse nine, then he dreamed still another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. Oh, great, here's another one. They're stoked about this. And then, and this time, the, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, meaning y'all, bowed down to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And the first test that Joseph 
failed to pass, the first test that I believe every dream goes through, every vision that God may give you in your life, the first test that you need to pass is the pride test. The pride test. If you want to know God's dream for your life, you get to know God. But what do you do when you get the dream? Well, first off, you don't brag about the dream. Joseph bragged about the dream. The dream leads you into God's destiny, but if you brag about the dream, you could run the risk of missing God's destiny. You might come close, but you'll miss it until you pass the pride test. The only way that you get to know God's dream for your life is when you spend time with him. And it's awesome. I love hearing about people's dreams and visions, and I hope you have them. I hope you're excited about a business opportunity or that person or that idea or that invention or that song or whatever. I think all that's awesome. And that dream might make you great, but the purpose of the dream is not to make you great, it's to make greatly known your God. If a dream is from God, then it's actually for others, as we talked about, I think it was in week two of our series. If it's from God, it'll be used to bless others. And it's so, it's so difficult when you see somebody that's so gifted, so talented, but they're just ambitious and it's all about them. Anybody ever seen somebody like that? When it's all about them, me, myself, I, I, the bragger. Anybody been in a circle of friends or been at a party and it's like, man, you couldn't even back up from this person because the more you backed up, they just leaned in more and told you more about how cool they are, how awesome they are, what God's doing here, what this is going on. And it's like, hey, man, that's awesome. And we want to hear that. We want to celebrate that. But sometimes we need to slow down and show interest into somebody else, all right? We don't need to brag about it. We can rest in, rest in the humility just knowing that we're his and that he's going to fulfill it. Now, if you have some dreams, I encourage you, write them down. Make a vision board. I'm a big fan of the vision board, all right? On my vision board was a lot of the stuff that we're sitting in today. I saw a building like this. I prayed and wrote it out. God, I'm praying that we're going to have a building. But who did I share that dream with? I didn't share that with other, you know, just a bunch of other people that would be discouraged by hearing about that dream, that didn't care about that. I shared that dream with my pastors and those that were close that were praying into our lives, believing with us for the call of God that we felt. Joseph's brothers were not praying and believing the call of God on his life, all right? So here's Joseph at 17 years old. Now, Reuben's the oldest brother, for you firstborns. He should have been the favorite, but he wasn't. The youngest one was the favorite. And here's Reuben, and, and most theologians believe that Reuben would have probably been in his late 30s or early 40s. And his 17-year-old brother's bragging to his 30-something, 40-year-old older brother, saying, hey, you're going to serve me one day. That's like working at a job, and you're like my buddy Chris, who owns a company, and some 17-year-old starts working there and starts telling Chris, I'm, I'm going to take your job. I'm going to run this company one day. <laughs> that won't be met with a raise. <laughs> That'll be met with, you know, kicking the door, you know. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you, you know. Get out of here. The only way to find God's dream for your life is to get to know God. Get to know God. Numbers uh, 12 or 6 through 8 says this about Moses. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him 
in a vision, I speak to him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's a key for seeing your dream come to pass, being faithful in God's house. I speak with him face to face, plainly. The children of Israel, they knew about God's acts. They saw his hand at work. But Moses knew his ways. When you just see God's acts and you don't know his ways, when your gift takes you to a place that may be part of your destiny, you'll lack the character that you'll need to stand strong. And I've seen too many people, too many husbands, too many pastors and leaders fall because they were more excited about them being glorified than getting on their knees and glorifying God, the giver of their gift. And it's so beautiful when you see somebody that uses their gift and worships. Like today, like so grateful for Sophie coming here and, and leading in worship. And all of our worship team, I just love their heart for worship. And don't you just feel when you see somebody that uses their gift to glorify God and not themselves, you don't, you don't even remember that they're the ones leaving, leading because you're just so caught up in the presence of God. That's a gift that's rightly stewarded before God. So God spoke to Moses face to face, spoke to him like a friend. Jesus said in John 15, 15, I, 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 I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you my friends. You're going you're gonna to know my ways. And just like Joseph had a dream, we have dreams, but some of the dreams that we have maybe need to die. There's some good dreams, but maybe it's just not a God dream. How many men in here ever played football? Did you guys ever play football growing up? We moved here from Texas, and like Texas, they like super glue a football to your hand when you're, you know, when you come out of the womb. So like yeah, everybody, like I remember showing up for a football camp for my, my boys when we had moved to Texas, and, and August was, I think, I think he was four at the time or five at the time. And so, um, so we show up for a football camp, or no, he was six, excuse me, my wife's looking at me like, you don't remember how old your son was? He was six years old, and we show up at football camp, and they're like, man, he's fast, how many years has he played? And I'm like, he's six. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uno, this is it. I, get, I said, uh, how many years have these kids been playing? They're like, most of these kids have been playing since they were three. I'm like, we got some work to do. <laughs> so if you played football, especially if you're over the age of 40, despite your awesome, uh, the Kurt Warner movie that came out, American Underdog, which I highly recommend, great flick, um, the Rams are not calling your number, okay? Like, like, if you have a dream of playing for the Rams and you're over 40, I'm just telling you, men, it's time to lay that dream down, okay? Like, you know, <laughs> it's not... It's, it's not happening. You can be the most awesome armchair quarterback sitting there watching, and you could have read that play and known that defense, and oh, they're nickel, oh, they're bringing in the, the defensive end. I know that they're showing blitz on the right side, and we got to run a fly route. No, you can know all that stuff, but I'm promising you, the Rams, they ain't calling your number. There's a time with every dream, you got to take stock of it and say, is this dream still from God? Is this dream really from God? Or maybe this was just me. Years ago, I had the big idea that I was going to move to Nashville and I was going to pursue music and I had some record labels that were interested and so I'm pursuing that and taking a look at that and I go into the studio and I produce this three song EP 
um, and we put it on a CD. Most of you in this room may not remember what a CD was, but it was this little disc thing, like a small record that you would put into your dashboard and it would play music. It's really cool. And so I, I got all these CDs and I worked with a graphic designer because I've always loved marketing and we put all this branding together and I sent it out to all these record labels and a little bio and the press pack and everything, you know what I mean? And it, it was a good dream, it was cool. Did some fun stuff, played some cool spots, but it wasn't the God dream. And I remember there was, a, there was a guy that was in my life that challenged me and he said, I know you're really excited about your music and stuff like that, but I, I, I just see you doing worship. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna be playing for Dave Matthews opening up at the Gorge. Like, you know, like, some of you are like, who? <laughs> this guy played guitar, weird voice, kind of a quirky dude. And it was like, you know what? I didn't listen to him because there was pride in my heart. Because I saw, man, I, I, now I, didn't, I didn't look at it as pride back then. I thought it was a good dream. It's cool. What's wrong with that? It was great, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that dream. And I know there's plenty of guys that are Christians in the industry and they're doing awesome stuff, but that wasn't the dream that God had for my life. This is the dream God had for my life. Pastoring, planning a church. That, would, that dream would have robbed me of this, what God's doing here. And so there's times where you may have a good dream, might have even been a God dream at one point, but there's some things maybe that need to be rerouted in there. And if you're seeing that things aren't moving forward in life, I want to ask you the question, maybe it's because there's a pride test that you need to pass in order to see that dream come through. So what do you do with the pride test? How do you do that? There's three ways to pass the pride test. Number one, you pray and study God's word. Notice it doesn't say read God's word. I read a lot of things, but I study God's word, all right? There's a difference between having, having time in the word of God where you're reading, and there's a difference between having time where you study. I got that, don't worry, it's okay. So pray and study God's word. Number two, submit your dream to others for input. You could have the most amazing dream, like, man, I'm gonna go here, there, do that, and, you, and somebody may say, man, I just do not see that on your life. Some people are like, I'm gonna be the CFO and CEO running a company, but they can't even balance a checkbook. Hello, right? Submit the, the dream that God's given you. I'd encourage you, submit it to other people in your life and say, hey, do you feel like this is from God? When we planted Authentic Church, we felt like this was from God, like, man, I, I knew that I heard God, but I still took that and I submitted it to leaders that were in my life, confident in this, that you know what? If they didn't come back with unanimous, yes, this is the word of the Lord, I was actually kind of cool with backing off and being, okay, maybe it's just not the time to plant a church. But every single one of them said, Jeff, I feel like this is from God. You've been working in business. You've been developing companies. But I think God's going to use that pioneering spirit to go and pioneer a work back in California. And you're just crazy enough that you would actually do it. And we did. <laughs> the third thing, to pass the pride test, man, you got to deal with that root of pride. you got to deal with the root of pride. If there's pride in your heart, there's insecurity in your soul. If there's pride in your heart, there's insecurity in your soul. If there's pride in your heart, it most likely stems from a place of insecurity. That's why that message last week from Nicole was so powerful, because it reminded you of who you are in Christ. Get out those insecurities. You don't want them. Anytime that there's an insecurity that rises up and somebody wants to be noticed, that's why somebody brags. They're bragging because they want you to notice them. 
Because there's a wound somewhere in their soul that feels, I've been overlooked. They're insecure. So they're overcompensating with social bad breath, talking about themselves all the time. <laughs> if there's pride in your heart, there's insecurity in your soul. Going back to Genesis, so pass the pride test, pass the pride test. Genesis 37, verse 13, the, the chapter goes on, and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in section? Come, I'm gonna send you to them. So he said, here I am, and he goes, and, and he says, go, go and see all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So Joseph goes and does that, and, and, and he goes on, and, and then verse 18, his brothers see him from afar off. How did they know that that was their brother? The coat of many colors. I bet he was walking around like a proud peacock, man, like, look how cool I am. This is Gucci, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? <laughs> he's like that, you know, that guy that's wearing an overcoat in summertime in Newport, right? I mean, he's like, look at me, baby. <laughs> so he's walking, they see him from a far way off, and before he comes near, they conspired. So Joseph's coming, they see him coming, they're like, it's him. And the brothers huddle up. There's some people that might be huddling up against you and your dream. Beware. And they conspired to kill him. Then they said to one another, look at this dreamer coming. Look at the dreamer making fun of him. Look at this dreamer coming. Come, therefore, let's now kill him. Let's, get, let's just be done once and for all. Let's cast him into the pit. And we'll just say some wild beast has devoured them. We'll see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, the firstborn, the most responsible one, Reuben's, he heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, for there was no water in it. So the first test that we need to pass with our dream, a vision that God's given us, is the pride test. The second test, not a fun one, is the pit test. The pit test. When you find yourself in the pit, what do you do? What do you do? A good thing to do is ask the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? If Joseph would have asked himself that question, well, how did I get in the pit? What happened to me? What did I do that could have led me in here? Now, I'm not saying just camping out and being a victim, but there's some pits that we find ourselves in that we never would have got in had we laid down the shovel, right? Just put down the shovel. Stop digging the pit, okay? Stop digging yourself into trouble. So a good question is really what's found. David asked the question in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God, know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, know my ways. See if there's anything that's inside of me that's not of you. Lead me in the way. Some people get into a financial pit, and then they get into a financial pit, and another financial pit. I've known people that have been walking with God for 20, 30 years, and it's like financial pit after financial pit, and they just never can get it, not thinking not stopping and asking the question, how did I get in this pit in the first place? Not realizing that, according to the scriptures in Malachi, they're robbing God. They're not tithing. They're not living a generous life. They're not being wise with their finances. 
They're not being good stewards of what God's given you. And even though in our day and age there's a, typically a pass-fail with tests, the good news is, the redeeming thing about God is, he doesn't have a pass-fail. You just have to take that test again. <laughs> you just might have to lap, lap that mountain one more time. And I'm praying that if you're sitting in this room and you failed some tests, the good news for you today, the Redeemer's in the room. And today could be the last time that you lapped that mountain. Today could be the last time that you fell into that pit. Today could be the last time that you walked in pride. Today could be the day where you submitted yourself humbly before God and said, God, what do you want to do with me? And you yield to him. So asking the question from a place of security, saying, hey God, is there anything in me? Did I do anything to bring this on myself? Is there anything that you've asked me to do that I haven't stewarded well? Is there anything in my time that I'm not stewarding well? Is there anything in my talents, my resources? Am I stewarding it well? Getting out of the pit. So they see Joseph coming and they see the gift that the father gave him. If you have a gift on your life that your father gave you, trust me, we see it. You don't need to brag about it. Your time will come. The gift makes way, right? Joseph had a gift from his father. We all have gifts from our father, but because of the pride and arrogance, he lost his gift. And some of you might be here saying, well, hold, hold, hold up, Jeff. Romans says that you know, the callings and the giftings from God are irrevocable. I hear what you're saying. I'll, I'll go with that thought, and I, and I would agree with that thought, but that scripture actually isn't pertaining to you. It's actually pertaining to the children of Israel. If you go back and study out that chapter of Romans, but let's just say that's correct, and, and, and I'm all for going with that thought, okay? The father didn't take the gift from him. I said he lost the gift. He coughed it up. And I'm not so sure he never got it back because his brothers took the coat, dipped it in blood, made it look like it was a savage killing, and then he brought it to the dad and said, is this your son's? Looks like it may be your son's. And his dad, Jacob, begins to cry, begins to weep, and mourn the loss of his son. And maybe you're here today and you're maybe a little bit bruised from something that happened in your past and you're mourning the loss of a gift that maybe was once on your life. I believe that the Lord is holding that gift for you and he's gonna redeem it. He's gonna hand it back to you. When you're ready, he'll hand it back to you. I personally believe that Jacob held on to Joseph's coat for 22 years. 22 years until they got reunited when, jo when Jacob and the whole family came to Egypt. And there was redemption. Let's go back to verse 22. Verse 22, Genesis 37, verse 22, as Reuben says to them, he says, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring them back to his father. I want to jump to, I'll just read it to you. It's out of the book of Jonah. Jonah found himself in a bit of a pit, literally. It's referred to as a pit. Some of you are saying, I don't know where you're going with Jonah in a pit, but follow me for a second. 
Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. We have it back a few slides there, men. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. When you find yourself in a pit, a lot of times the, the way that God uses as a pit is that you cry back out to him. When you find yourself in a pit that maybe you threw yourself into if you would have just put down that stupid shovel, but you found yourself in a pit, you'll cry back out to God because of the affliction, and he's right there with you. And he answered me, Jonah said, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, Sheol, multiple times you'll see it through scriptures, is actually translated the pit. Jonah 2.6 says, you've brought up my life from the pit. Has God brought anybody's life up from the pit in this room? Come on. God is so good. Today, we're going to have a time of baptisms in a moment. I'm going to have Sophie and Hannah come and join me up, up front now. Uh, we're going to have a time of baptisms. And like Joseph, we've all found ourselves in a pit. And we've all seen God rescue us for those that are believers in the room. And it says throughout Psalms, it says that he put my feet on a solid rock. He rescued me out of a pit. And I was uh, a young, young man, 20 years old, single dad, not knowing what I'm doing with my life, making mistakes left and right. And God took me out of my pit. And today we're gonna have baptisms for a few people and uh, God's rescuing them and he's putting their feet on a solid rock to stand. And the cool thing is you're part of the family of God, so you get to be part of their story. One of the coolest things about being a pastor and serving and loving on people is that we get a front row seat in the journey that people have with God. And this particular gal that we're gonna baptize today shared her story last Wednesday with us during our pursuit night and share how she just wanted to make a change for the things of God. She wanted to come into right relationship with God and like me, she was raised Catholic. God bless you, all the recovering Catholics in the room. <laughs> Once a Catholic, always a Catholic, come on. And this is her moment. But I believe there might be others in this room where God's knocking on your heart. And although we're gonna baptize her in a few minutes, God might be saying to you, it's time. It's time to come out of that pit. It's time to be baptized. You might say, well, I was baptized. I was baptized as an adult or I was baptized as a kid. That's awesome. If the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart today to repent and to be baptized, I wanna encourage you to do it. I promise you, the devil will never tell you to go be baptized and to repent, okay? The devil is not gonna say that. In fact, the devil will throw everything he can up in your life so that you would not be here today to hear the message that you're hearing. And even after you're baptized, it's not like you just, it's, it's, it's not like it's always gonna be sunshines and rainbows. That sometimes after you're baptized, then he throws the kitchen sink at you and he tries to accuse you even more and remind you of all the things you've done and tries to throw up roadblock and temptation after temptation in your way to try to pull you away. But here's the secret. You stay close to the family of God. You stay close to the people in your life that are truth tellers, people that love you, people in this room. You keep showing up. And as we keep showing up, 
and you keep reading and studying the Word of God. You keep praying. Even, even times you barely make it into church, you keep coming to church because like me, God meets with you right where you're at and He doesn't ask for perfection. He just wants you to come and say, God, I'm here again. And He says, son, I'm, good. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. Let's chat. And as you do that through the years, you become formed more and more into His likeness. And some of those temptations that used to be so difficult start to just fade away. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what do you do after you're saved? Simple. Acts 22 verse 16 says it like this. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. If that's you today, if you want to call on the name of the Lord, I'm going to pray a prayer, but I'll be honest with you. The church has done a disservice to people saying you can just pray a prayer and go away and not actually do anything. That's actually more harmful than good. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, 3,000 get added to the church that day. There was actually not one prayer prayed, which is hard for us to believe in Christianity. We're like, how did you do anything without praying a prayer? The message was simple, repent and be baptized. And they joined the church. Repent and be baptized, join the church. So I'm just gonna pray right now. Why don't we just bow our heads, close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Some people like praying that way. Like that scripture I quoted earlier, let's just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Is there anything in my life? Is there any pride? Is there any pits that I found myself in that I put myself in? Lord, would you make a way out? Would you make a way of escape? God, would you give me a way out of that mess? And for those that need to get right with God today, and as I'm sharing, you feel like your heart's beating maybe a little bit, and you're feeling inside, man, I feel like I'm supposed to, supposed to be baptized, but you feel maybe you're trying to, you're second-guessing yourself. If you have any inkling of thought of that, I just want to encourage you. That's the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about baptism is it is transformative. It is powerful. It is a holy moment. It's an act of, of faith, calling on the name of the Lord. It's where you stand up in front of the community around you and say, I'm a new creature in Christ. That old me is being buried in the waters of baptism. I'm being raised up new. And if that's you, we're all gonna pray a prayer in a moment. But if that's you, I wanna encourage you, be baptized today. I got a shirt for you, all the different sizes. We got one that'll fit any size in this room, all right? And we'd be honored to baptize you. So let's just pray this prayer today as a church family. Dear Jesus, would you come into my heart today? I pray for a right relationship with you. Would you forgive me with anything I've done? Cleanse me, set me free. I wanna know you more. I wanna walk in your ways. I wanna live pure. I wanna live holy. I wanna be transformed. So I'm asking you to forgive me right now 
Make me whole. Jesus, I love you. I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I'm making a commitment right now to serve you all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.